Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We are not doing this, however, without considering the works we are committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Good morning. It's good to see you all here the week after Easter. There is another Sunday after Easter, and it's good to know that you know that. We are continuing now through the book of Jonah. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 4 through the end of the chapter. And so let's read that together. Jonah chapter 3, starting at verse 4. It says, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all we have of that message of Jonah. I want to stop here because in the last chapter, we saw that Nineveh was a great city and it was a three days journey. And here we see Jonah's only gone one day. I don't know if he only covered one third of the way through. I don't know if the message continued after that and he was done he said okay that's enough i don't know if there was more and we just don't have all the story but we this is all we have of jonah in this chapter here is a book about this prophet and this is all we have on his message to the people i think that's interesting i think it's telling verse five and the people of nineveh believed god they called for a fast and put on sackcloth From the greatest of them to the least of them, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. 
When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This morning, I want to talk to you about the American Revolution, Paris Hilton, prayer in schools, and feeding babies. You know, there are moments in history that have a profound change on the rest of history. There are moments in nations that have profound implications, not only to that nation, but to the rest of the world. Things that will happen. It might be when the Berlin Wall came down, where there was a moment where things changed. The American Revolution, it is another moment where things changed. A group of people took ideas that they had from early civilizations, from the Grecian civilization, from the Roman civilization, and combined it with the Christian traditions, and then they revolted against an authority that they believed to be unbending. And to this day, moving from that monarchy to a represented democracy has sent shockwaves throughout history. They decided that we are going to declare our independence from England. And even to this day, people and nations all over the world hold their breath when we have an election. Sometimes we hold our breath too, even after the election. Because of this event, it has affected so much and it began with the moment that began with the thoughts of individuals that now changed the course of history. And really that's what we're seeing take place in Nineveh. There is a moment of time where the people decide to behave a certain way and it changes their their destiny momentarily. Now it doesn't change it completely. As time goes on, Nineveh is going to have destruction come upon them but at this point they make the change that has the effect on them as they move forward and it's really important to recognize that that's the kind of thing that can happen when we make a change here we're seeing it nationally but it happens individually as well where you see something and you react to it and now the course of your life is changed And as the prophet goes through and he says, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 40 days is a significant number throughout scripture. There was the flood, 40 days and nights it rained. We see that the... the, Uh, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. There there is this kind of number that comes up for whatever reason. You know, it's kind of a marking that there's something happening in this period of time. And so God gives them this period of time that this judgment will take place, but they respond and so that it doesn't take place in this time. One of the things I wonder is, should we be concerned that Jonah doesn't mention God at all in his message it's one sentence and god's name is not mentioned at all and yet apparently it's enough apparently even the lack that was there in his message was enough of a message for the people to respond to 
And what we see in verse 5 where it says the people of Nineveh. The word that is used for people in the Hebrew is the word anash, not the word adama that usually is used where we get the word Adam from. Anash means the mortal human or the vulnerable human. It's the same as what we saw in chapter 1 with the sailors. And there's a lot of correlations between now and chapter 3 and chapter 1 with those sailors who are on the ship with Jonah to now the nation of Nineveh. And you see, this is a people who are at risk. This is a people that need to be spared. And so when it talks about the people of Nineveh, it's talking about those who are vulnerable those who are in danger, those who are at risk. And, and this is who is now responding to this message that Jonah gives. And, and it says there that they're supposed to clothe themselves or they're going to clothe themselves with sackcloth. And that is the idea of complete humility to, to draw attention that they were not going to be unnoticed. We are not going to go unnoticed. We are going to do something that is going to cause our situation to be seen. And then there is this idea of fasting that goes with it as well. And it's interesting because scripture never gives high marks for regular fasts. In other words, yeah, we, we always fast on this day and we always do this. In fact, Jesus talks about the, the Pharisee who says, yes, I fast. And he proclaims his fast and he says, don't be like him. And then the Pharisees come to Jesus. Why don't your disciples fast like we do regularly? Again, giving this idea of this is a routine thing that we do. And Jesus says, well, they don't fast while the bridegroom is with them. In other words, right now is not the time to fast. But when the bridegroom, speaking of himself, is taken, then there will be a time to fast. And so what we see, instead of being a regular routine to fasting, fasting is provoked by something it's something that happens in response to rather than something that we just do and i i think sometimes fasting happens even in a natural sense have you ever gone through something traumatic and you just lost your appetite so i just don't want to eat why because of what i'm going through there's times where i'm going through something or maybe something that has happened to someone dear to me and, and the trauma of that event has affected me so much that even though I'm hungry and even though, you know, you're out by the barbecue and you're smelling the food and it's like, oh, it smells good. You take a bite and you just don't have an appetite. It's just like, I can't eat right now. It's almost as if your body is telling you, don't eat right now because something else is going on. And maybe we are so out of touch with what is happening in us that we don't realize that our bodies sometimes even tell us to fast. But we're so intellectually motivated. Sometimes our intellect really thinks it knows what's happening. You know, I know what's going on. I've got, I can figure it out. I know it's gone. Your body's telling you something, but you know, your intellect sometimes thinks it lives on the other side of the tracks. You know, the intellect thinks, oh, I live up here. You body, you emotion, you don't understand. And really the body and emotion is more in tune with what's really happening than your mind fully understands. And, and so a fast is in the response to the need that is there. It's not on every Tuesday we fast, not that it's not a bad thing, 
But Scripture never speaks highly of routine fasts. It does speak of fasting in response to needs. Response to needs in your life. Response to needs in other people's lives. Response to needs to situations. Response to needs to our government. And here that's the case. Response to a need of what is going to happen to us if we do not change. And so there is this putting on of sackcloth and ashes. And it says from the greatest of them to the least of them. For change to take place, it has to be a thorough change. See, you you can't change just those who are in high places if it does not filter to those who are in every place, it does not change. And it cannot just change in the people who are around. If it does not filter to those who are in charge, we don't see the change take place. And so this change takes place from the least to the greatest of them. And then in verse 6, we have this kind of proclamation by the king. And really, it's hard for us in our language to understand because this is actually a poetic term that is being used in this. It's called a a chiasmus poetry. And what it is, is it's going from A to B and then back from B to A. And what he says is the king comes off of his throne, but then later he sits in ashes. He takes off his robe, but he puts on sackcloth. And so there's this kind of progression. He does this and he does this. He does this and he does this. And he's connecting these thoughts together in a very poetic way. And again, I I think it's interesting that the storyteller here, as he's writing these things, is bringing about this proclamation, and he's doing it in a way that is very vivid, in a way that's supposed to capture our emotion, that is supposed to move us. We are supposed to be on the edge of our seats, wondering what is going to happen to Nineveh? Is God going to destroy them? Is it too late? Are they doomed because of their deed? And then we see this poetic thing. The king comes off his throne, takes off his robe, puts on sackcloth, sits on the ashes. And we see this dramatic scene change that is taking place in the nation itself. And then he gives this royal proclamation. And first there's some negatives here. He says, don't allow anyone to taste anything. (laughs) Like, bummer. Okay, don't allow anyone to taste anything. Don't let them feed or drink water. And then I love this. Let the beasts be covered in sackcloth. His proclamation even includes the animals. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that humorous. Okay, I think that is actually supposed to be funny in some way. And then you start thinking, why? Why would you want to have the beasts covered in sackcloth? And I think of kind of the influence. I mean, what came to my mind was Paris Hilton and her dog, you know, wearing an outfit and how all of a sudden there became designer dogs, right? They called them, you know, Well, we called them pocket dogs. They were called handbag dogs. And I've trained some of these dogs. Um, You know, I I went to a home where the person was very affluent. He was uh, an economic advisor for, I think it was CNN or one of the news broadcasts. And they had this home overlooking the ocean. And it was this kind of huge windows all around. And I went there 
to go and train the dog and I talked to an assistant. I didn't get to talk to them. The assistant didn't know what kind of dog it was. They just wanted me to do the training. And so I'm going to this lavish home, going to train someone's dog and I'm expecting, you know, some great Dane or some beautiful dog. I get there and it's a little Pomeranian puppy the size of a teacup. Right? And I'm like, okay, all right, now what, what are we wanting to do here, you know? You're going to put the thing in your bag, right, and carry this dog with you because it was for the guy's wife. And, hey, I trained the dog, got it potty trained, and the dog would do sits and down and stay, and it would look so cute when it would do it. She'd tell the dog, down. She had this kind of European accent, down. And the dog would just, doop, fall down. It was the cutest thing. But, you know, the identification with dogs, when we went to Mexico, we, we even clothed the dog. And I think, you know, even though this is a funny thing, the, the scriptures tell us that the Sabbath was given so that the animals could have a rest, that God was as concerned with the animals as he was in some ways with the people, that he was concerned with all of creation, that he wanted their treatment of the animal to be kind. And again, I think sometimes we miss that God is speaking through all of these things that are taking place. There's a passage in Job chapter 38, verse 41. It says, Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help? and wander about for lack of food. I love that picture of crying to God for help. Here is an animal crying to God for help. Now, it's not the same that we do it, but it's very picturesque in what's taking place. Psalm 84, verse 3, it says, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallows a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. So if the sparrows can have a nest before the altar of God, how much more we, even as Jesus said, right? And so the idea of these animals having to to wear the sackcloth and to be a part of the thing, it's maybe there is a cry from them or there is a need for their survival as well. Or or maybe it is a reminder to them every time they see those animals, that's right, something important is happening that affects us all. But we see that this is so thorough that it includes the animals. And as humorous as that might be, it's taking place so that there can be this moving forward. And then some of the positives that take place, he says, let them call out mightily to God. What's interesting is when the sailors in chapter one cried out to God, they cried out to Yahweh. And in verses one through three is the only places in this chapter where we see the term Yahweh. The rest of the time, it's Elohim. The difference is Yahweh is a personal term used by the Hebrew people for their God. Elohim was a general term used for God by various people. When they would talk about these other people who called on their God, they would use this term. And it's interesting because the sailors knew to call on Yahweh because they heard about it from Jonah. But apparently, not so with the people of Nineveh. 
they didn't call on him maybe because they didn't know to call on him. Maybe they didn't hear from Jonah. But apparently they didn't need to call on Elohim to be heard. That even though they called on God, not by the personal name, God, the personal God, still heard them. I think it's interesting sometimes like when you go to Haiti, you'll go and there'll be, especially right after the earthquake, there were just groups of people from churches and you can tell because they're all of them wearing the same color shirt and it's bright color. It's like a bright, you know, fluorescent green shirt and they'll have something on their shirt printed up like bringing Jesus to Haiti, right? That was one of Serena's favorites and she's like, I thought he was already here. Or you'll hear people say, we we need to get God back in the schools. Do you really think he's not there? Well, we don't have prayer in schools. Do you think that has stopped God? Do you think when they said, there's no more prayer in schools, God has said, oh no, no prayer in schools. What, how am I going to get in there now? What will I do? They've stopped prayer in schools. No one can talk to me now because they've stopped it in schools. Do you really think that God is affected by those things in the least? Because if you do, you don't understand how great God is. And that the will that we have does not thwart the will of God. It affects our lives, and it may have some influence on the lives around us, but it doesn't stop God from working. And the fact that Jonah doesn't give a real clear message doesn't stop the message that God wants to convey from getting through to these people. And they call on the general God, but the real personal God hears them and cares and responds to them. You know, and it's so hard to understand the will of God and our free choice and how those things affect one another. And I I, I imagine that the will of God is a stream, a, a, a powerful stream that is flowing. And then our will is like taking a rock and throwing it in that stream. Does that rock have an effect on the stream? You bet it does. It it will have an effect, but it'll be so minuscule that we won't be able to tell what it is. Oh, it might affect some tadpole somewhere and it might, you know, stop the stream or turn it to this degree. But the water still gets to its destination because God is too great to stop. And in spite of Jonah's attitude, God's heart is still known. And I love that because that gives me hope because sometimes you guys know how I feel about church and about Christianity, how it's kind of hijacked the message of Jesus sometimes. And even as Erwin says, the greatest enemy to the cause of Christ is Christianity. And that's a powerful statement. But if you think back in history, you could say, yeah, I think he's got a point there. I love the fact that it doesn't matter 
what we do, the love of God still gets through. That our attitudes, that when we think this is how it's supposed to be, that they need to worship God like I worship God, and unless they know God the way I do, they don't really know God. It's just not true. Abraham thought that in Genesis chapter 20. Remember, Abraham was saying that Sarah was his wife so that he would not get killed. And and then King Abimelech takes Sarah as his wife. And then it says that Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. But Abimelech is the one who said, what did you do to me? Why would you do this? Why would you bring judgment on me if I were to take your wife? You see, King Abimelech knew what was right and wrong. He was actually chastising Abraham for what he did. And Abraham thought, no, there's no fear of God in this place, but there was. And you never know where someone is at. We see someone and we label them. And you might label them by a a faith. Oh, that person is Hindu. Oh, that person's Muslim. That person's Buddhist. And that person is this close to hearing the voice of God. And we're the ones saying, oh, they don't think like we do, so they don't fear God the way we do. They don't know God the way we know God, but it doesn't stop God from working. Abraham's assumption was wrong. And if you think God is not somewhere or involved in the situation somewhere, then you're wrong. God is still in the schools. God was in Haiti before the earthquake and before the Christians came there, he'll be there long afterwards. And God is always at work. And then the king goes on and he says, let them turn from their evil way and from the violence that is in their hand. Violence is not just against each other. It's against God. We, we always need to recognize that these are the things that mark the separation. That's why Jesus would say, blessed are the peacemakers, because the violence is moving away from the heart of God. The violence is pushing things down. And God cannot ignore those things, just like you can't ignore the violence when it takes place. If someone comes into my home and is going to hurt my family, I am going to stop them with all the power I have. Why? Because it's a violation of what is right. And when God sees a violation of what is right, he wants to put a stop to it. And and so the judgment that is there, it's actually befalling them because of what they're doing. And I love verse 9 because, again, the similarity, it says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Chapter 1, the captain of the ship said, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This idea of perishing is taking place here. It takes place in chapter 1. It took place in chapter 2 in Jonah's song. 
perhaps, who knows, maybe God can keep us from perishing. And what's great about this, what's interesting is that these words may not perish That was God's intention all along. That's why God was sending Jonah. He did not want them to perish. What what does the scripture tell us in the New Testament? God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to a change, a repentance. See, this is the same message. It's the same God. And he's reaching to Nineveh just like he's reaching for all humanity. Perhaps you will listen. Just maybe you will hear his voice. Who knows? Well, this is what we do know from the story, that if you will hear and acknowledge that he will see to it that you do not perish. In verse 10 When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The word that's used for evil and the word that's used for disaster are the same Hebrew word. It's the word ra. It's the word that's used in the tree of of the garden. No, good and evil. Good is the idea of raw. And raw can mean a couple of things. It can mean evil in a moral sense, and it also can mean like something bad, a calamity happening. And so here what's saying is if they will turn for their moral raw, the bad, God will turn from the calamity raw that is going to happen to them. And we see that these things are connected. That the raw of their behavior affects the raw of God's response. And we see them different. One is a moral failure. The other is a calamity that happens because of the raw that took place within their own lives. When they turn from this, God turns from that. So this part of the story ends with a big relief. What happened? Okay, let's pause right now. Let's pray, you guys. Father, we pray for our sister who has just fallen ill. Lord, we pray that your hand be upon her, that you would bring restoration to her body and her health, Lord. We thank you that... You care for us, even as we've been talking, Lord. May you show your care for her. Bring speedily relief here, Lord, to be able to provide the care that is needed for her. We do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. She passed out. She's okay. I'm glad she's okay. We'll continue just praying for her that she is okay. So just as we have a sigh of relief that she's okay, (laughs) there's a sigh of relief in this story. The Ninevites are okay. They're going to make it. God relents. He does not follow through with this. And the logic of Nineveh's pardon, if you will, is that one good turn deserves another. In other words, their turn away from their behavior responds with God turning away 
the anger that is there. It's important to notice that God is responding to what was happening, that it wasn't the other way around. In other words, God wasn't angry and then just going to get upset. It was that their raw, their evil was causing what was taking place. In Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. You see, it's this attitude of, if you're the one who walks away, you need to return. If you return, I'll be there. And that's really what we see taking place. One of the things that I love doing right now is getting my grandson to imitate me and so I've taught him to shake his head no which I'm sure his mom appreciates I'll just look at him I'll go no 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 and he'll look at me and he'll start going no 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 I've also taught him that when you eat food you should go mmm and the other day he was in the living room playing with his toys and he saw me sitting at the table eating and I hear from the living room mmm he starts doing the mmm and he starts kind of giving this understanding and you see a lot of the thoughts that take place that used to take place were that infants only responded to their bodies that they would cry because you know, uh, they were hungry or because they were hurt or because they were uncomfortable, that that was the only reason that they would cry. And then you've probably heard that they would laugh when you see a kid laughing. You know, what do you always say? Oh, look at their smiling. Why is the infant smiling? Because they had gas, right? Are they here already? Wow, that was quick. So let's pause and let's allow this to take place. All right, you guys, we're going to close. If you want to come, we'll kind of end things up. We'll let you know next week how things are going with Joe's mom. Um, Prayerfully, she'll be okay. We'll find out what's going on. Um, But let me close in prayer. And I guess to summarize what we're wanting to see take place is, you know, just as a child is in response to their parents, And the child's health is very much connected to how the parents interact with that child. We have a heavenly father who is interacting with us in a way to bring health. And our response to his action with our lives really determines how healthy we're going to be. When the people of Nineveh responded it turned into a place of health. How quickly we respond to what God is wanting in our life really is the best way to have healthy and whole lives, which is what we desire, which is what God is wanting to do within our lives. Um, We need his voice to be able to hear. We need his touch that brings us health and comfort. We need his presence in our lives to be able to bring that wholeness that we need. Let's pray. Father, with all these things that have happened, Lord, we are reminded that life is frail and is important to you. And 
therefore to us as well. And we do pray, God, that you would bring health to Joe's mom and that she would be well. And I pray, Father, that you would bring health to us individually, as a community, and even as a country. Father, that your work would be thorough and that we, Father, would see your working and be a part of it, respond to what you are doing. Bless the remainder of this day, Father. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the day and rest of the week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.